Hello, and you are listening to Eco Justice Radio, a project of SoCal 350 Climate Action. Our show presents environmental and climate stories from a social justice frame featuring voices not necessarily heard on mainstream media. Eco Justice Radio acknowledges that we record the show on the traditional territory of the Tongva and all of their relatives. Welcome, I am Jessica Aldridge. On today's show, offshore fish farming, profiting off the environment, public health, and local economies. I will be interviewing Andriana Natsoulas, campaign director for Don't Cage Our Oceans. Andriana Natsoulas has worked on issues pertaining to agriculture and fisheries in varying capacities and venues for over two decades. She has been an independent consultant and worked for organizations such as Food and Water Watch, the North American Marine Alliance, and the Northeast Organic Farming Association of New York. Andriana wrote the book, Food Voices, Stories from the People Who Feed Us, which is a collection of personal stories from farmers and fishermen who are part of the food sovereignty movement. Humans are eating more seafood than can ever be replenished, a vital source of protein for 3.3 billion people. There are many different ways to feed people while conserving our marine ecosystems without overfishing and industrial fish farming. Unfortunately, the U.S. government and multinational corporations are pushing offshore industrial fish farming as a way to keep people eating their salmon and shrimp. In fact, the U.S. government is fast-tracking industrial fish farms in federal waters, in underwater or floating net pens, pods, and cages. International agribusiness companies are pushing legislation that would open the floodgates for U.S. offshore factory fish farms. Think concentrated animal feeding operations, but on the ocean. Our guest today from the Don't Cage Our Oceans Coalition campaign says no to these industrial fish farms while advocating for community-centered seafood supply chains. We talk about the impacts to public health and the environment from these massive open net pens. She also advocates for the alternatives, sustainably managed wild-caught seafood and aquaculture fish farming practices that are embedded in social, economic, and environmental values. Thank you for tuning in to Eco Justice Radio and our show, Offshore Fish Farming, Profiting Off the Environment, Public Health, and Local Economies. I am your host, Jessica Aldridge. It is my honor to welcome our guest, Andriana Natsoulas, Campaign Director of Don't Cage Our Oceans. Welcome to Eco Justice Radio. Welcome, Andriana. Thanks, Jessica. I'm so excited to be here. Me too. I am very interested in this topic. People who want to eat fish, who want to know more about what's happening with with our uh, fishing industry, I think this is a great conversation for us to be having to understand what is really taking place. What's the environmental impact? What's the workforce impact? You are the campaign director of Don't Cage Our Oceans. Tell us about the purpose of this organization. Yeah, so Don't Cage Our Oceans is a nationwide coalition of diverse organizations and businesses And we're dedicated to stopping the development of offshore fish farming in the U.S. And that's through federal law, policies, coalition building, outreach. And simultaneously, we uplift values-based seafood systems led by communities. And before we get into the issues and solutions for, for fish farming, let's first explain what offshore fish farming actually entails. I think we can imagine what it might be, but... What does it really look like and where do we see these offshore fish farming taking place? Right. So when we talk about offshore fish farming, we're talking about fin fish farms. So that's fish with a fin on their back that is happening in federal waters. And so federal waters typically is three miles offshore from zero to three miles. That's coastal. There are fish farms in coastal waters. Hopefully we'll talk a little bit about that later. 
And so unless you're in the Gulf of Mexico, then it's nine miles off of the coast. So what these fish farms are, are essentially floating concentrated animal feeding operations. A lot of people have heard about that in the agricultural world. You know, when you're packing a lot of cows or pigs together to make a lot of food for people really quickly, really cheaply, without any regard for the environment or the animals. So it's kind of the same thing. We saw we call them floating CAFOs. And so these offshore fish farms can be from 200 acres to over a thousand acres. And they are these huge submersible pens that go deep into the water and they're jam-packed with different kinds of fish, depending. So it could be red drum, it could be Almaco jack, it could be steelhead trout. So, you know, they're out of sight, out of mind. You can't just drive by it. You can't just go visit it. So it is a little bit, it's an industry that people don't necessarily think about. Uh, yeah, of course. It's it's not right there in your face. And, and when you think about it, it's probably when you go to the grocery store and you're in the aisle where they're selling fish, and you're like, hmm, maybe where did that come from? Right. Yeah. And and as you alluded to, and as I mentioned, there are some key hot issues when it comes to the concerns behind offshore fishing, fish farming. Mm-hmm. And those include the environment, human consumption, animal welfare, and worker safety. I want to break down each one of those and let's start with the environment. What are the negative effects that we are seeing on the environment from offshore fish farming? So As I mentioned, these fish farms are very similar to concentrated animal feeding operations. There are a lot of similar problems. And in the environment, when you are growing so many fish, so many carnivorous animals close together, there's going to be a lot of discharge. There's going to be a lot of fish poop. And in that waste is a lot of nitrogen. And we've already seen in some of these Fin fish farms, coral reef damage as a result of these high nitrogen waste going straight into the environment and beneath those cages. Another issue that we are concerned about is escapement. And so we've heard some of the stories in salmon farming where a cage just disappears. The cage just breaks off into a storm and they're never found. And so those fish can escape. They can mingle with wild fish populations. They can carry disease because they're treated with antibiotics, these fish in the farms. And so it's a great concern when we're talking about the health and welfare of our wild fish populations. Another concern that we have, as I just mentioned, is the use of antibiotics to be able to combat disease in these concentrated situations. And so those antibiotics are released into the environment. And as I said before, we've already seen evidence of coral reef damage as a result. You know, some other concerns that we really have is the forage fish. So when you're raising these fish, they're carnivorous, so they need meat. And so they are raised with some tiny little fish, which we call forage fish. Taking these forage fish out of the oceans disrupts the entire marine ecosystem because everybody depends, all the other fish, marine mammals depend on those little fish to be able to survive. And so I think also, you know, hopefully we'll be able to go a little bit deeper into the concerns and the issues around fish feed. One last thing that I'll mention is a couple more things. One is just going back to this idea of nitrogen and releasing this nitrogen. Yeah, and I think just want to point out, because we had the four things, right, that I had mentioned. So just to remind our listeners, and is that we were talking about environment, human consumption, animal welfare, and worker safety, right? So the impact of the fish feed Let's, you know, and where does that fall in? It falls into the environment, but also, you know, animal welfare as well. Exactly. That's exactly right. Everything's connected. You know, we we need to tease things apart, but in reality, everything's connected. It's an ecosystem. (laughs) We're also really concerned about climate disruption. And that's with barges, shipment, processing, and a lot of, again, the fish feed 
is a huge impact on emissions and contributes to climate disruption, which we're feeling all over this country this summer with heats and floods and rains. So that's a real concern. And then also the nitrogen creates these algae blooms and red tides. And the red tides can lead to the warming of the waters. It can lead to fish deaths. It can lead to marine mammal deaths. And so these are, this is just a tip of the iceberg on the environmental concerns that we have that exist with offshore fish farming. And I'm sure we could have a whole entire show just breaking down each one of those, right? Now, human consumption is another concern. Could the potential chemical and antibiotic use that you're talking about have a direct effect on humans? They absolutely could. You know, you oftentimes you hear, you know, keep antibiotics working, right? So if there's overuse of antibiotics, it decreases the effectiveness of those antibiotics. And so there's antibiotics. There are other chemicals that are put into the feed. And we're not 100% certain what that impact is on humans. In some fish farms in other countries, there has been evidence that they use chemicals that are banned in the United States by the Food and Drug Administration, yet they're still using them. Another concern that we have, which is huge, but we're not really focused on it, is that less than 2% of imported seafood is tested. So a lot of seafood could be- Less than 2%. Less than 2% of imported seafood is tested for chemicals, for anything. That's crazy. It's crazy. And there could be a lot of chemicals that are banned by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration that are still being used in some of these fish farms. And so the use of antibiotics, the use of some of these algicides, fungicides to maintain clean cages could have a great impact on human health. These are chemicals. And you also don't have organic. There is no organic fish. There is no organic farm fish. If you ever see fish that says organic, it's not because the United States does not have any rules for organic seafood. And they can use genetically modified crops to feed the fish, correct? That's right. So fish feed is such a huge issue. When we're looking at fish feed, we are looking at a combination. So I talked a little bit about, you know, the forage fish, you know, all those tiny little fish that are ground up and used for fish feed to, to feed these farmed fish. And then they supplement it with soy, corn, canola, even insects. But the thing is that corn and soy, corn, 92% of the U.S. corn is genetically modified. 94% of soybeans are, and 97% of canola is. So this cocktail of forage fish, of soy, corn, canola, is being fed to these farmed fish. We don't know that. When they take the feed to feed the fish, they being, you know, the company who's raising these fish, it will say GMO feed, GMO soy, GMO corn. It'll say that it's GMO, it contains GMO ingredients, but that is not translated to the consumer. So you would never know. And then just going back for a minute about the fish feed itself, this fish feed has been proven to create instability in places like Sub-Saharan Africa, because they are taking these tiny fish that everybody needs out of the out of the marine ecosystem, and there are so many communities that depend on that wild fish for their food security. And so, a recent study out of the the FAO, the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, has determined that taking these forage fish out is impacting food security in the global south. That is intense. And and then the marine wildlife. I mean, you touched upon what's happening with like the algae blooms, you know, other issues with the animal welfare that are of concern is, you know, what what is also happening to the surrounding marine life and the fish and, you know, the the entanglement or the changing of behavior, maybe even like mentioning what's happening to salmon. Yeah. 
So there are, you know, there are two different impacts on animal welfare. One is the actual fish that's being raised. And as I said, you know, these are hundreds and hundreds. They're looking to be growing thousands of pounds of fish to be able to sell. And so they're smushed together and they're concentrated and you're looking at salmon. So salmon more typically will happen in state waters in that zero to three miles out. But, you know, salmon typically travel thousands of miles in their life. And now they're being pushed together in these cages. There's also, you know, there's been a lot of deaths that we've seen because of the lack of oxygen during during transportation. So essentially they're suffocating. There are these diseases that they get, infectious salmon anemia is one big one where it just eats at the live fish. There are sea lice, which also essentially eat at the live fish. And with the anemia, they end up having bloated abdomens. They have bleeding. Their eyes are bulging. This is not treating these animals, these fish with any kind of decency. And then just quickly to talk about the marine mammals. So there is the endangered monk seal in Hawaii, I'm sorry, the endangered Hawaiian monk seal um, in Hawaii. And there have been at least, at the very least, one entanglement death due to the Blue Ocean Mariculture Farm off of Hawaii. There was a very recent study done that indicated that bottlenose dolphins, their aggression changes around these feeding, these fish farms, because they see them as buffets and they don't want spinner dolphins nearby. And so they become very, very aggressive and they push these, they attack the spinner dolphins, they push them away. It has completely changed the behavior of bottlenose dolphins as a result of these underwater fish farms. They become a food aggressive. They do, yes. And there's also been incidences of orcas becoming entangled in the in the cages. And so it's a it's a great concern that that we have about the impact on on seals. You know, there's a lot of endangered seals around our nation's waters and there the industry, the fish farm industry is eyeing areas where these whales and seals live in the Gulf of Mexico and New England in Southern California and so there's just eyeing areas for what? Eyeing the areas fish? to develop these offshore fish farms. Yeah. We have a couple minutes to the break, and it just reminded me, and I don't know if this has anything to do with this, but we've been hearing a lot about the aggression that's happening now with orcas yes. in, in, in different places. Like now it's happening near Ireland or, you know, near that area. There's two different sections, orcas that should not, that are not communicating with each other per se, because they're so far away, are now becoming more aggressive. I don't know. But the, the the minute we have left here before the break, if you want to talk about that, because I am completely intrigued. I think they've named it White Gilda, White Gilda, something like that, is one of the, the one of the orcas' names. Yeah, I'm I'm not familiar with that situation, but when you start disrupting these habitats, there are going to be impacts. There's going to be changes in behavior. There's going to be you know, concerned with the well-being of our marine mammals, you know, and I, again, I don't know the specifics about that, that specific case that you're talking about, but we've seen it, you know, around, around the coast, around the oceans with other marine mammals and um, it's unnecessary. You know, bottom line is it's this industry, fish, offshore fish farming is unnecessary. Why do it? And why cause so much destruction to our environment and to marine mammals? It's just an unnecessary industry that has real repercussions that is un, that is not going to be, benefit anybody except for those specific corporations that have, you know, only profit in mind, not consumers, not the environment, not animal welfare, not health, um, not um healthy seafood opportunities or options for consumers, not worker safety. All they're interested in is profit and it's unnecessary. And we'll get back to that conversation. We have to take a break real quick. I do want to talk about worker safety real quick when we get back from the break. 
and also talking about, you know, who's behind this development, right? And what's happening at the federal level, what, you know, what type of legislation is trying to be passed and, you know, what are the alternatives? Mm -hmm. What are the solutions outside of just not eating fish altogether? What are the solutions? So we'll be right back. Stay with us. Thank you. Hey, listeners, quick break here. We hope that you're enjoying Eco Justice Radio. We are every Friday at 4 p.m. on KPFK Los Angeles and Sundays at 4 p.m. on KPFT Houston. Stay connected by subscribing to Eco Justice Radio and all major podcast apps and visit our website, ecojusticeradio.org. You can check out previous shows and guests and get connected with us on social media. For an extended version of this interview, as well as other benefits, we encourage you to become a member of our Patreon. Today, you are listening to Offshore Fish Farming, profiting off the environment, public health, and local economies. I am your host, Jessica Aldridge, and our guest is Andriana Natsoulas, campaign director of Don't Cage Our Oceans. Andriana, thank you so much. We were just talking about the hot key issues when it comes to offshore fish farming, including, you know, how it's affecting the environment, human consumption, animal welfare. And we, I want to get into worker safety. What is happening as it relates to worker safety? How does that come into play with fish farming? So a lot of the information that we currently have on these offshore fish farms, you know, these deep water fish farms, the most information that we have are from a couple sites off of Hawaii. And then we look at what has happened in the salmon farms around the world. And so, you know, just looking at Hawaii, there have been at least two diver deaths associated with those deep water offshore fish farms. They have one of the fish farm companies has been fined by the Hawaiian Occupational Safety and Health Division, OSHA for multiple 19, violating 19 regulations. We have seen just recently, this this past summer in both June and July of 2023, a salmon worker was killed when the feed barge exploded. And so think about why did that feed barge, just going back to what we were talking about before about feed, the feed barge exploded. What's in that feed? Again, remind us what's in that feed. What's in that feed? So we have lots of different antibiotics and chemicals to prevent any disease. We have GMO corn, soy, canola. The nitrogen though, right? I mean, if it's going to explode, it's not exploding because of GMO corn, it's exploding because of the nitrogen, correct? Yes, Mm -hmm. that's right. And then we also saw this summer in Scotland, a fish farm worker was crushed to death by a boat. We saw also... In Nova Scotia, there was a employee who was just found dead in the water, not sure why. And so, and also just thinking about one of the countries that has the most amount of salmon farms is Chile. And Chile has gone through so many problems with these salmon farms. They've had more than 60 worker deaths at these salmon farms within less than a 10-year period between 2013 and 2021. And And then the other issue that is quite substantial is these forage boats, the boats that go out to catch the fish feed, to catch those little tiny fish. There have been, this is a whole nother story as well, but there's been investigative reporting on these forage fishing boats essentially slave labor. So looking at these boats in, you know, in the South Pacific, they have slave labor conditions on these vessels that are fishing for the forage fish that would go into feed to feed these farm-raised fish. So all around, you know, everywhere you look, there is a problem with these farmed fish facilities. Across the board, right? Well, and who's who's behind the development and the promotion of these offshore fish farms? Where's the, the financial backing coming from? Yeah, great question. So when we're looking here in the United States, so I gave you, you know, several examples of salmon farms and other facilities outside of the United States. Don't cage our oceans focuses on 
federal legislation, federal activities, federal action. So we are really focused on the United States. In the United States, there are a couple coalitions we call industry blocks that are really putting a lot of might and money behind and muscle behind the development of offshore fish farming. So there are two primary industry blocks. One is called Stronger America Through Seafood. And some of the members of Stronger America Through Seafood include Cargill, because Cargill wants to have the corner of the fish feed market. They are supplementing, as I've already mentioned a few times, supplementing the fish feed with corn, soy. Cargill is also the largest private corporation in the United States. Merck is another member of Stronger America Through Seafood because Merck wants to have the corner of the market for the antibiotics and the chemicals that are going into the fish feed. Then we have Cisco. Cisco is a member of Stronger America Through Seafood and they want to be able to control the distribution. And then we have some you know companies like Red Lobster, you know, go to Red Lobster and get your you know your cheap seafood. There's another coalition called Coalition for Sustainable Aquaculture. That one's a little bit tricky because there are some fairly benign sounding groups that are members of that one, like Hub SeaWorld and Environmental Defense Fund. But both Hub SeaWorld and Environmental Defense Fund see these offshore fish farms as a market solution. So they really do see these offshore fish farms as only a market solution without taking into consideration the environmental or any of the other issues that we've talked about. Also in Coalition for Sustainable Aquaculture, now we have Title X, which is it's Alphabet, it's Google, it's one of Google's companies, and they're interested in AI in fish farming. And so now Title X has also joined the Coalition for Sustainable Aquaculture because they want to be able to influence any artificial intelligence in managing fish farms. So what is happening? Is there anything happening at the federal level when it comes to offshore fishing practices? Like, what was the Trump administration's policy first on offshore fish farming? And how does that differ today with the current administration under the Biden administration? Okay. So in 2020, then President Trump signed an executive order that essentially would start paving the way to allow these fish farms to be developed. And it handed over the power to the agencies, meaning the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration to take the lead. And then with some support from the Environmental Protection Agency and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. That executive order is still in place. A year ago, we had submitted a letter to to President Biden that had nearly 180 signatories representing over 8 million people asking him to revoke it, but he still hasn't. So in the meantime, NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, has identified what they call aquaculture opportunity areas. And this has happened under this administration, under the Biden administration. So aquaculture, and they were asked to do it as a result of the executive order. So aquaculture opportunity areas are these ideal places to put these fish farms. And so far, they've identified nine in the Gulf of Mexico, and they've identified 10 in in Southern California. Two of the ones in the Gulf of Mexico are inside the dead zone. Two in Southern California is um, within close proximity, the DDT Superfund site near Santa Catalina. And so there's been a lot of public opposition in the Gulf of Mexico of all the public comments about these aquaculture opportunity areas. Over 90% were against. Public comments when it came to the Southern California aquaculture opportunity area over 68% were against, saying that they don't want these things. They don't want aquaculture in their federal waters. What about the Aqua Act that was introduced by Congress in June 2023? Is that a good thing? Should we be concerned? Yes. 
We should be very concerned and everybody should be calling your member of Congress, both your senators and your member, your your representative, and tell them to oppose the Aqua Act. So the Aqua Act essentially opens up the waters through Congress to allow for offshore fish farming. And also it allocates $350 million for nationwide and international PR around fish farming, and then also research and development and administration. So the Aqua Act, a similar act has been introduced for about 20 years, and it hasn't gone anywhere. There's new power now with Cargill and Merck to be able to influence members of Congress, but it's nothing that will support coastal communities, our environment, workers. And so we should be very concerned and everybody should be calling their members of Congress and tell them to oppose the Aqua Act. Aside from not eating fish, don't cage our oceans suggest that there are three alternatives to offshore fish farming that are more sustainable and more just. Those are uh, wild-caught fisheries, small-scale coastal aquaculture, and land-based recirculating systems. Let's start uh, by discussing wild-caught fisheries. What are they? How do they work? And why is wild-caught fishery better than, you know, offshore fish farming? Mm-hmm. So in the fisheries world, nothing is really simple. And consumers really need to be informed and engaged. So wild-caught fisheries, what we recommend to people if they do eat fish is to buy local you know, buy from your local fishermen, go to the farmer's market. Now, more and more, if you're living in coastal areas, there are fishermen who now go to the farmer's markets. Ask, you know, where this wild fish comes from. Talk to your fishermen. A lot of places also now, it's been happening more and more around the coasts, have created these community-supported fishery programs. So many people are familiar with community-supported agriculture. There is now the seafood side of that. So there are these community-supported fishery programs, and they are you know, run by the fishermen. They support the fishing communities, and you know, we really support, we support that kind of seafood, which is much easier if you're living by the coast. And what seafood, talking about that then, what seafood has a lower environmental impact as it pertains to wild-caught fisheries? Lower environmental impact is really, when it comes to wild-caught fisheries, we really need to, again, be as close as possible, right? And a lot of people know this when they think about where they're going to buy their apples or their eggs or their chicken. I mean, the lowest environmental impact is the closest to you. And then if we're looking at some of the small scale coastal aquaculture, coastal fish farming. Yeah, let's actually describe what that is first. So because of the three suggested alternatives, you had said wild-caught fisheries, small-scale coastal aquaculture, and land-based recirculating systems. So the alternatives, small-scale coastal aquaculture, define what aquaculture is and how that differs from offshore thin fish farming and, you know, what, what why it's so good. Yeah. So, you know, again, this is really values-based. I was talking before about wild-caught fisheries from your local fishermen. We're talking about values-based. We're talking about community. We're talking about sourcing your seafood from your community. And so there have been some excellent coastal aquaculture projects around the coast. And um, a lot of that is like low impact, low input, bivalves, mussels, seaweed. Those are three coastal aquaculture systems that local communities are getting more and more involved with. And they also filter the water and they support farmers, these these community farmers. And um, they're a great alternative as well. But I just have to emphasize that what's really important is the values. Where is it coming from? Who Who is a farmer for these coastal aquaculture systems? And do they care about their community? Are they local? Or are they some sort of corporation from far away who really doesn't care? And I'd ask, you know, what, how do you define aquaculture for those that may want to know? I think that maybe it's a, we can assume what that means, 
the, what's the definition of aquaculture? So there's all different kinds of aquaculture. Aquaculture is when you're growing a aquatic species in some sort of controlled situation. So aquaculture could be mussels and oysters, which are farmed in coastal areas in like these like boxes they could look like, but with water flowing through. And then aquaculture also does refer to these offshore fish farms that I'm talking about. So it's a big word and it involves a lot of different types of raising aquatic species. And what your third suggested alternative is land-based recirculating systems. And that's very much a mouthful. (laughs) So please explain what land-based recirculating systems is and why it can be a solution. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, the it's all about values. It's all about communities. It's all about who is doing it. Land-based recirculating systems can be an excellent way of feeding local communities, especially like in urban areas in the middle of the country. True land-based closed systems. So these are closed systems with recirculating water. And so you're not, you're filtering the water, you're not releasing it into the environment, and you're able to, a lot of these systems integrate plants, hydroponics, and that combination filters the water and the the fish that are being raised often is like catfish or tilapia, which will eat anything. It doesn't need the wild fish. And that also helps fertilize plants that are being grown. And so there's some really amazing land-based recirculating systems that are owned and operated by people embedded in the community. And they provide their local community with excellent nutritional and economic food. But again, you know, these need to be community-based and closed systems. Some some industry um, are looking to they call them land-based recirculating farms, but they're, you know, hundreds of acres and they're using genetically modified salmon, like in the middle of the country. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about land-based recirculating systems that are closed, that feed the community, that is embedded in the community, that has values. Well, we're going to take a break real quick. Coming back, we're going to talk about, I want to know what your response is when someone says, hey, why are we even talking about this? why we just don't eat fish in the first place. I'd love to get your response to that, your opinion. Talk a little bit more about the importance of supporting local economies and get a little more information about what's happening with Don't Cage Our Oceans. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. Hey, listeners, quick break here. We hope that you're enjoying Eco Justice Radio. We are every Friday at 4 p.m., on KPFK Los Angeles and Sundays at 4 p.m. on KPFT Houston. Stay connected by subscribing to Eco Justice Radio and all major podcast apps and visit our website, ecojusticeradio.org. You can check out previous shows and guests and get connected with us on social media. For an extended version of this interview, as well as other benefits, we encourage you to become a member of our Patreon. Today, you are listening to Offshore Fish Farming, profiting off the environment, public health, and local economies. I am your host, Jessica Aldridge, and our guest is Andriana Natsoulas, campaign director of Don't Cage Our Oceans. Andriana, when someone comes to you and says the solution to to the negative effects of offshore fish farming is to just stop eating seafood altogether, what is your response to that? I mean, it's, it's an applicable answer, you know, it's, I, I totally understand it. What's your response? Well, you know, this is, that's a personal, you know, choice at Don't Cage Our Oceans. We have a diverse membership. So one thing I didn't mention is that we have over 45 member organizations and businesses. So we have fishermen and we also have some environmental groups that are vegan and that's part of their, their ideology. I think that seafood lovers can still eat seafood with a good conscience if they ask questions. You know, that's, and again, I feel like in the agriculture land-based world, a lot of foodies 
you know, really get their head around that. And they're able to, you know, talk to their local farmer and they understand where it comes from. Those same values apply to seafood. And so you can still eat seafood. You can still, you know, ask, where does it come from? Who caught it? How far away did it travel? One fishery that we would definitely say is a good one is the salmon fishery from Alaska. Recently, there is a little bit of concern about the impact on the orcas, but it is the salmon fishery in Southeast Alaska is one of the cleanest. And you often will see wild wild salmon. There's been some challenges with the salmon populations in California, but that's also because of dams and other agricultural inputs. But it's really, you know, ask and find out where it comes from. And you can be able to get local seafood from your fishermen. That's really great. It helps the local economy. One thing that I want to mention is that um, the proponents of offshore fish farming say that, well, we have a seafood deficit. You know, it's we have to raise these fish. But in fact, we do land enough fish here in the United States. We export a lot of it. We waste a lot of it. We export it and then re-import it. And so it's just not necessary if we buy local from our local fishermen. Actually or- explain that. We export it, then re-import it. Like someone in Maine catches fish, mm-hmm. right? And then they have to export it to outside of Maine, right? To be prepped. And then it, if they want fish, then it gets imported back. Like t- t- talk about that process. So I mean, it sounds we, insane. It is insane. And this is, you know, one thing that Don't Cancer Oceans is really in support of is working waterfronts and really making sure that the waterfronts work so this doesn't happen. And what this is, is let's say Maine, and we're going to keep this inside the United States. You've catch fish in Maine. Then it's exported out of state of Maine into Massachusetts, into New Bedford, where it's processed. And then it's shipped back up to Maine. That we're keeping domestic, but that also happens at a larger scale where it will go to, let's just say, Mexico to be processed because people can be paid less in Mexico for processing fish than in the United States. So let's say in Southern California, you get some fish, it goes down to Mexico to be processed, and then it's re-imported into the United States. So that's not a solution. That seems like a really big footprint. It's a huge footprint. Absolutely. Absolutely huge footprint. And it's not supporting the local communities or the local economies. That's, that's insane. And, and you had mentioned working waterfronts. Can you describe what that is? Mm -hmm. So when we talk about working waterfronts, it's a whole system that needs to work together to be able to support the wild caught fisheries. So when we look at working waterfronts, a fisherman goes out to catch fish. It comes back. He comes back. She comes back. They need to have cold storage. They need to be able to have processing. They need to be able to go to the store to be able to get gear. They need diesel. They even need like upholsters because some, you know, it's, They take care of their boats. They have places to sit. Sometimes, you know, some of these boats will go out for a week at a time or six days at a time. And so there are all these little details that are really essential to be able to support that fisherman going out on that boat to catch the fish. Cold storage, processing, other shoreside support businesses, small businesses like gear shops. So it is it is an entire community that really could thrive and prosper if the US actually put some money into supporting the infrastructure that is necessary to be able to keep that seafood in the community and not send it down to Mexico for processing creating a huge carbon footprint and then bringing it back. And our currently our taxpayer dollars Aren't they instead of going to the, the to creating the necessary infrastructure and supporting the infrastructure of the working waterfront, a lot of our money is actually going to the research and development of offshore fish farming, correct? 
That's right. There's, I mean, there's been millions of dollars in the last five years, $41 million that have gone to support research and development of shore fish farming. And as I mentioned, the Aqua Act has earmarked $350 million for offshore fish farming. Put that in the local community. A fisherman once sent to me, once said to me, you know, a dollar goes a long way here. Keep that dollar in the fishing communities. It'll support local economies. And it is not necessary to be giving this money to Cargill to be able to increase their wealth. So just to reiterate, because you, you had thrown a couple of questions out there, and I just want to reiterate so our listeners hear it again, that if they want to support these local seafood producers, they want that $1 <laughs> to stay local. And that $1 becomes more dollars and more dollars and more dollars because we're supporting that local infrastructure, that local working waterfront, right? What are those questions that we should be asking if we are if we are seafood eating people, seafood buying and eating individuals, and we're going to a grocery store, we're going to a meat market of some sort, what are the questions that we should be asking to ensure that that one dollar is staying here? Yeah, ask where who where did it come from? Who caught it? Where did this fish come from? If it is something like oysters or mussels, you know, where did that come from? And Say and demand, say, you know, I want to be able to support my local fishing community. I want to be able to support my local oyster and mussel farmers. And the markets respond to consumer demands. I think there is a lot of power in the consumer demand. And if the restaurants, if the fishmonger, if the fish counter, you know, knows what, what people want, then they will be able to go find it because the fish is out there. So those are the kind of questions. Was it farm raised or is it wild caught? So as I mentioned, oyster mussels, those are great farmed seafood options. We don't typically say, do eat this, don't eat that. But the two that we do say, do not eat. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, I do. I, this is my question for you. Yes, what are, because, you know, you don't recommend one species over another because the ecosystems change, like you were saying, That's depending right. on where you're located and what you eat local might be different from me in California to someone who's in Houston, right? But there's the two. There's the two types of seafood that you do not recommend as don't cage our oceans, what are they and why? So the two that we really do not recommend are farm-raised shrimp and farm-raised salmon. Um, so farm-raised shrimp, <laughs> farm-raised shrimp is farmed in all throughout Central America, South America, Southeast Asia. They have destroyed ecosystems. They have these farms. They have completely destroyed ecosystems. They have led to deaths when the community comes up and fights against them because they know that they're going to degrade the ecosystem. They are going to prevent access for wild fishing. And so the community stands up and says, no, no shrimp firms. And they have been killed. And there's also just tons of chemicals that are used, like malachite green is a big one that's still being used in these shrimp farms. So no shrimp firms. You said firms. they have been killed. Who has been killed? Community members who have stood up and fought these fish, these shrimp farms. So community right. members in Central America, South America, Southeast Asia, they've come up to the industry, fought the shrimp farms, and they have been killed. And so it's a really serious, it's a really, really serious industry that no conscientious seafood eater should should eat. They shouldn't eat farmer shrimp. And so when you go to a restaurant and they should be able to answer, they may not, right? So if a, if a restaurant goes, I don't know if it's farm raised or not. Then say, then ask. I, so, I mean, ask, you know, go, go find out. Mm -hmm. I do. That. You know, if I'm in a restaurant, they say, I don't know. It's like, well, go find out. Mm -hmm. And salmon. And salmon. So salmon, you know, I had already mentioned a number of the problems with salmon where it comes to worker oh, safety. Yeah. It comes to escapement. It comes to disease. And so salmon is, you know, salmon has decimated the Chilean coast. 
And um, it's another industrial food production system that just destroys in the environment and um, is not a good option for people's nutrition and the carbon footprint. I mean, the salmon's coming from Norway or it's coming from Chile. That's a pretty big salmon. That's pretty big uh, carbon footprint. Is there any good salmon? I mean, well, you said there's no such yeah. thing as organic salmon or no organic salmon. fish. Yeah, organic wild caught salmon from Southeast Alaska or from Alaska. Alaska is great. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So for all you salmon loving people out there, <laughs> you know where to get your salmon from. And there used to be a pretty strong salmon fishery in, in California, and there's been a lot of efforts to bring the salmon back. Um, so hopefully one day soon, we'll see some nice uh, salmon. California salmon. How can states have an impact in prohibiting offshore farms and you know unsustainable fish farm practices, mm-hmm. especially if that fish farm is in federal waters? Do they, right. do they have control? Excellent question. So there is something called the Coastal Zone Management Act. And that means that states can develop their coastal zone management plans. So they can say, like California says, California has a coastal zone management plan that says no fin fish. So that's a, like salmon, you know, a fish with a fin on its back. No fin fish farms in coastal waters. And that's part of the Coastal Zone Management Act. Washington State is going through that now. Alaska has the same. Maine is going through that process now as well. And so what that essentially does is it says that you can't have those farms in federal waters either because what is happening in federal waters will impact coastal waters. And so it's a little bit of a loophole. And um, it's really exciting because that really can give a lot of power to the states And it can give a lot of power to the people in states who don't want to see these offshore fish farms. What is, you know, talking about empowering the people, right? And maybe someone's listening and they're like, well, what can I do? Who who do I get involved with, right? What is Don't Cage Our Oceans doing to make an impact? And, you know, how can people get involved in that? Mm -hmm. Especially where they're at. Mm -hmm. Well, you can... Go to our website, which is don'tcageouroceans.org, and take action. Take action. As I mentioned before, tell your members of Congress to oppose the Aqua Act. Tell your members of Congress that the Biden administration has got to revoke this executive order 13921, executive order 13921. So those are two of the big focuses that we have at Don't Cage Our Oceans. We also are engaged in litigation with the... U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, because they have created this nationwide permit, which means that if a company wants to develop an offshore fish farm, they don't have to go through all of the permitting processes. If it's in an area that the Army Corps of Engineers says, that's okay, you can just do it, which completely does not take into account the unique social and environmental environment of where that farm may be created. So those are, you know, those are some of our big focuses and we have opportunities for people to take action on our webpage. And then also just talk to people, you know, this is a little bit of an obscure issue. As I mentioned before, it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind and people don't know about it. And so one thing that listeners can do is just talk to people about it, talk to each other, find out more information. And the more and more that we're able to do this, the more that we'll be able to elevate people's knowledge of the issue and then create change. We have a a few minutes left before the break. And I do want to remind our listeners, as always, we're going to continue this conversation extend the conversation. So definitely go to ecojusticeradio.org where you can listen to our extra questions with Adriana and asking things like, you know, identifying different offshore fish farms and upcoming plans. They have a map. They, you know, some of the positive examples. I want to get some positive examples, talk about what's happening in New Jersey and and more. So the conversation is definitely going to continue. So please go over to ecojusticeradio.org. Before we we close here, I, I had a question. You know, 
There's some local shrimp farming entities that, local meaning like here in California, focused on proper stocking, density, water quality management, proper feeding and nutrition, disease prevention, and market considerations. That's that's what they say. Is it is it possible to do sustainable shrimp farming? Yeah, it is possible. You are going to pay a little bit more. You know, you're not going to be getting it at Red Lobster for a dollar. I, I'm not familiar with this one that you're talking about. I have seen them in Florida and they're more freshwater rather than saltwater. And it can, they, it can be done. It absolutely can be done. And that's why, you know, and it may be a recirculating farm system. I don't know. I don't know what this system is that you, that you mentioned in, in California, but that's also just why I cannot emphasize this enough that it really matters who's doing it. Is it a community business? You know, is it a an operation that really is embedded in values, embedded in environmental values, worker values, community values? You know, and if it is, and they're doing it right, then it sounds like a great option. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, you know, it's not an imported shrimp. You know, most of the import, I can say, pretty confidently that probably 95% of the imported farmer shrimp is not anywhere near sustainable but you know this this may this may be a good option and this is also why it's really important to just ask find out be informed be an informed consumer there's a lot of power in being an informed consumer there really is if we just use our voice say what it is that we want mm-hmm. request it um, ask questions. They, mm-hmm. you know, the, the places that we are patronizing, they they will listen to us. They will listen to multiple people. But we have to put ourselves out there and do that, and not become apathetic and say, "Well, it won't change anyways. It doesn't matter. The food that we're eating is poisoned anyhow, so it doesn't really matter." Right? It does matter, and we can create change. We are that power of change. Right? Absolutely. Remind, we are wrapping up right now. Uh, Again, everyone, go over to ecojusticeradio.org to check out the extended interview here. Lastly, again, where can people follow you, Andriana, and the efforts of Don't Cage Our Oceans? It's the easiest to go to don'tcageouroceans.org. We also have Facebook and Twitter, which you can find Don't Cage Our Oceans. Um, And those are the three areas that. You'll find just some excellent information and opportunities to act. I love it. And as always, when we put out our social media posts, we're going to tag Don't Cage Our Oceans. So if you're listening and you're like, what is it again? Just go to Eco Justice Radio and it's all going to be there. Andriana, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Stay with us for the next uh, few minutes. We're going to ask a couple more questions and I hope you listeners will go over to Eco Justice Radio and check out the extended interview. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Jessica. This was great. Thank you to our guest, Andriana Natsoulis, campaign director for Don't Cage Our Oceans. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. This has been Offshore Fish Farming, profiting off the environment, public health, and local economies. For an extended version of this interview, become a member of our Patreon or you can visit our website at ecojusticeradio.org. Please connect with us on social media. You can find us at Eco Justice Radio, SoCal 350, and Adventures in Waste. And if you like what you heard, you want others to be informed, you know what to do. Subscribe and share the episodes and help us continue our efforts by joining our Patreon and making a tax-deductible donation to the show. A project of SoCal 350 and Adventures in Waste, the show can be found on KPFK, KPFT, all major podcast apps, and at ecojusticeradio.org. Executive producer Jack Guy, producer and co-host Jessica Aldridge, co-host Carrie Kim, and engineer and original music by Blake Quake Beats. And until next time, remember, the power is yours.